0: Well, thank you team for leading us. Sure appreciate that. Thank you, Peter, for your prayers today. And thank you for watching this morning. Good morning, South Shore. It's really good to be with you today. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. And uh, friends online, if you perhaps are not a regular part of the South Shore family, a special welcome to you too. You know, technology is something that we have various opinions about, sometimes we love it, sometimes we're less uh, excited about it, but the bottom line is it's a real wonderful tool and uh, God gives the ability to reach out to your home, you can tune in with us, uh, we can talk to friends around the world just to keep encouraged, to keep connected, and that's exactly what we want to do. So it's going to be a great morning today as we lean into worship, as we lean in to hear God's word. I love what Psalm 81 verse 10 says, it says, open wide your mouth and I will fill it, that's the promise of God, that when we're hungry for Him, He will fill us with His truth and satisfy our soul. We talked about that and read about that earlier. Blair led us in that in Psalm 73. I hope you have your Bible with you today. So you're gonna take it in just a moment, and I hope you have something to write your notes with uh, because uh, I'm excited as we begin to launch two new things simultaneously. This is the week that we begin our 10-week preaching series called Jesus Overall our brand new study in Colossians, as well as launching our eight-week Bible study series for men and for women. You don't wanna miss uh, being part of those studies. They will start this week, so men and women, we definitely want you to sign up and be part of that. There's just been a great response already, and we're gonna grow together and we're gonna be encouraged together. Today is the beginning of the first of our 10 messages in Paul's letter to the Colossians. The theme of the book can be summarized wonderfully in the words of Colossians 3.11, I love that, right? You're going to be able to hear kind of what's it all about, what's, what's the nugget, what's the essence of it? Here it is, Colossians 3.11, Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. This is the epicenter of Colossians. Colossians celebrates the treasure that Christ is. Jesus is all that matters. Everything is in him, and he is over all. Colossians shows us in various places through the chapters that he is God, that Jesus is the creator, he is savior, he is the head of the church. And we're going to actually be looking at this wonderful Christological passage next week as we look at verses 15 to, to 20. So we ask ourselves, why was Colossians written? Well, it was written so that we would enjoy the supremacy of Christ that we would recognize his priority and his preeminence. Jesus is over all. He is over everything. And the more more that we understand his fullness and his perfections and his sufficiency, the stronger will be our grasp on redemption, understanding the hope of our salvation that we have in him. Our future is secure. This proper understanding of who Jesus Christ is, it does this, it is our our foundation for our Christian maturity, but it was also in the case of the Colossian heresy, it was the antidote for that, and it's protection for us in our day as well. Well, before we jump into the text this morning and read the first 14 verses, I want us to understand a little bit more of the background of this letter. So let's talk about the city. Colossae was a small and religiously and culturally diverse city. It was a small city, it was cosmopolitan, It was located in Asia, in what is now the western part of Turkey. The majority of residents there were Gentiles. And it was also near neighboring cities of Laodicea and Hierapolis. You've probably heard of Laodicea. That's one of the seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation. And this is going to be important that Colossae was about 120 miles from Ephesus. That's going to be an important distance and two important cities in the message today. We do know that Colossae was devastated by an earthquake in AD 61 approximately. And unlike Laodicea, which was about 10 miles away, uh, Colossae was never rebuilt. So we have this moment in time with this letter written to these people. And then really the city was de- devastated and the Colossians moved on to somewhere else. We know that the letter was written to the church at around um, the same time as Ephesians was written. Maybe you've noticed that in your Bibles, that as you read Ephesians and Colossians, there's a number of things that sound really similar. Well, that's because they were written around the same time by the Apostle Paul in about AD 60 when he was imprisoned. And we see that in Colossians chapter 4, verse 18. This is what Paul says at the end of the letter about where he is when he's writing the letter. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Then he says, remember my chains. Grace be with you. So, we ask ourselves the question, why was it written? Ultimately, it was written because there was troubles in the church. There was problems. In Colossians 2.1, if you've got your Bibles already open, flip to chapter 2, verse 1, and you'll see the heart and the struggle of Paul, why he was writing. He says this, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. So these churches were linked. They were close together, probably in, uh, obviously in geography, but in, in ministry and mission and heartbeat. He said, for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Paul was struggling with these people wrestling for them because from prison he had received a report from Epaphras, who was from Colossae. We'll hear more about him in the message. And Paul had heard about these Colossian Christians who were strong in their faith, but were being upset and deceived and led astray uh, by false teachers. On one hand, Paul was extremely thankful for all that God was doing. We've talked about that previously, the faith, the love that was growing up in them, yet the letter was written because of the theological error that was creeping into the church. They were tempted to embrace this and be led, led astray. Colossians 2.4, he speaks also about this. He's writing, he's teaching them doctrine, he says this, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And so from what Paul has written, we understand the backside of what was happening. People were trying to deceive them and lead them astray with these plausible arguments, these, these other aspects of who Christ was, which were false. And the gospel we know was flourishing in the church until these false teachers arrived. And what they were doing, they were bringing a mixture of Judaism and paganism, mixing it with the gospel and shaping it to be something other than it was, making Christ less than he was. This was the understanding they were were trying to bring to the Colossians that Jesus was less than God. Obviously, a huge and tremendous heresy. So, unable to deal with this situation alone, Epaphras, who was leading the church, made the journey, made the long journey to seek Paul's help while Paul was in prison in Rome. It was about 1,300 miles. So Epaphras, as the messenger, as the pastor of the church, as the leader of this church, says, I need help. I'm going to go to Rome. I'm going to take this message to Paul and see what he says. So what Paul does, Paul writes this letter, having heard the report, and he sends it back with Tychicus and Onesimus, And we see that in Colossians 4, 7, and 8. We see that these were the messengers that Paul sent back. You say, well, why wasn't Epaphras sent back? Well, because he was imprisoned in the process. He goes to Rome. He ends up getting thrown in prison too. Paul says he's a fellow prisoner. And the letter gets taken back to Colossae through these two men. That's the background of the letter. hope that helps give some context to what we're going to say today. Now in the fall, in our Pray Big series, we looked at a number of passages already in Colossians and we spent extensive time in verses nine to 14, so I'm not gonna repeat that material. Rather, as we look at this this chunk of text from one to 14, we're gonna zero in on verses five to eight. So, with your Bibles open, beginning at chapter one, verse one, hear now the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, And Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you As indeed, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, for us today, our focus is going to be on the gospel, the gospel that we love, the gospel that we esteem, the gospel that has changed our lives. I'm gonna give you four things today that the text says about this gospel. Here we go. If you're taking notes, here's the first one. The gospel is the good news of God's grace. The gospel is the good news of God's grace how good it is to hear a good report. Think about a good report that's come to you. It might be that someone in your family, maybe one of your kids says, I had a great semester at school. Maybe the marks just came back and the the marks were great. I had a great semester at school, it's a great report. Or maybe the the newly married couple is growing stronger in their love and we say, that's a great report. Or we could say that the medical report came back far more encouraging than we anticipated, right? We love great reports. Well, Paul was ecstatic about a great report of this church. It filled his heart with joy. He was ecstatic ecstatic about what God was doing in the lives of the believers at Colossae. He had heard a report from him that the gospel was at work in the church, producing this wonderful overflowing love from one to another and this strong and deep faith in Christ. And as you see these things happen, what you know is that there's great miracle-working power in the gospel. The greatest miracle in the world, we could think of, wow, what would be a miracle that I would think is pretty substantial? So if I said we prayed for somebody and this person who was blind got their eyesight back, we would say that's a pretty substantial miracle. But that's not the greatest miracle in the world. The greatest miracle that we could ever hear of is of a new heart and a changed life. The miracle of a spiritually dead person coming back to life in Christ. That is the power of God. And we don't wanna miss the miracle working power of God in this church. Verses three to five. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, listen, the gospel, the gospel. That's our focus this morning. Now you hear the word gospel, It's a word we use a lot. We think of preaching the gospel, or sharing the gospel, or gospel music. That's an important word in the Bible. In the New Testament, it appears 93 times. Obviously, it's important. But what is the gospel? Can you define what the gospel is? The word gospel appears in verse 5. We just read it. And it is the translation of the Greek word evangelion, which means good news and oftentimes in Greek it was speaking of the good news the word evangelion the gospel was used to speak of a report of victory brought back from a battle so it was good news of a good report in a battle right it was a win it was a celebration of what had happened at the heart the gospel is the story of who Jesus is and what he's done We're gonna talk about that, but also, when we talk about the gospel, we also have to understand not only who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, but who we are, that we are lost and without hope, without Christ, dead in our sin, and headed for a Christless eternity. Two sides of the gospel, who Jesus is and who we are without him. So, we can say this, the gospel is the good news of what God has done in Christ to secure our redemption say that again. The gospel is the good news of what God has done in Christ to secure our redemption. The gospel is also the story, the message of Jesus' victory, his battle victory over Satan, over sin, and over death. And of all of the things for which we are grateful today, none surpasses the boundless riches of the gospel of God's grace. Earlier in the service, we prayed and said, thank you, Lord, for the year that was, and thank you, God, for the year that will be. But of all the things that we can be thankful for, nothing surpasses the boundless riches of the gospel of God's grace, because what we could never do for ourselves, God in Christ in his Son has done for us. The gospel is the proclamation of the most important message in the world at any time, in any place. There's no other message, there's no other good news, there's no other report, there's no other declaration or proclamation that even comes remotely close to what we have in the word of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes people's lives. The gospel is the news of the grace of God, what God has done for us. It is a command to be obeyed. And as one commentator says, The gospel, listen, is a power to be let loose in the world. A power to be let loose in the world, it was let loose in the Colossian church. The power of the gospel is today unleashed and let loose in our lives as believers, working in us and working in the church of God. Someone has said that the gospel is both, on one hand, an announcement, and it's also an invitation. It's an an announcement and an invitation. It's an announcement saying, come, and see your desperate situation. If you're not a believer today in Jesus Christ, if you don't know him, the gospel for you is this invitation, come and see your desperate condition. Come, second, and see the mercy of God. This is the invitation, come and see the mercy of God. Come, thirdly, and turn from your sin and turn to God. And finally, the gospel is this invitation that says, come, hear the good news, believe it, receive it, and find life in Christ and be saved. This is the good news of the gospel. And all the fruit, all of the change, all of the transformation that was visible in the lives of the Colossian believers was the result of this very thing, the power of God at work in the lives of the people. Now, do we find this this explained anywhere else in the Bible? Absolutely, we do. I think of Romans chapter 1, 16, perhaps. It's a verse that you're familiar with. It says this, for, Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for what is it? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The power of God. That's what the gospel is. That's what the gospel is. And the gospel declares us to be more needy than we ever want to admit. And the gospel declares that we are more loved than we can possibly imagine. Just embrace that today. We are more needy than we would ever dare to admit, and we're more loved than we can ever possibly imagine. This is the goodness, this is the glory, this is the wonder of the gospel. Think with me today about the story of John Newton, writer of the hymn that we love, Amazing Grace. Right? He was a slave trader turned hymn writer and preacher. This is the power of the gospel. Think of a self-made businessman who only dreamed about making millions and millions of dollars and who comes to an end of himself and finds in Jesus all the riches he could ever possibly want. When a changed life stands before you, maybe you're looking at a person in the room next to you right now. When you think of the Colossian church, when you think of your own life, when you hear somebody giving their testimony and someone living a new life to the glory of God, what are you seeing? You're seeing living proof of the power of the gospel at work to change a life. I am proof you are proof that there is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what we talk about today is the power of the gospel and the grace of God. The scripture talks about the gospel in a few other ways. He says that the gospel, it's the gospel of God and of his son. It's the gospel of the grace of God. In 2 Corinthians 4, it's called the gospel of the glory of Christ. It's called the gospel of peace. In Revelation 14, it's called the eternal gospel. And so what are we to do with this gospel today in 2021, church? What are we to do with it? Listen to what Jesus said. He said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole world. The Great Commission mandate that Jesus gave his church is still with us today. It is still our calling. It is still our invitation. It is still the command to be obeyed, to go into all the world and to proclaim the gospel to the whole world this good news of truth, people still need to hear it. And it is a universal gospel for the whole world, transcending ethnic and geographic and cultural and socioeconomic and political boundaries. The gospel is for every person in every place at every time. The gospel is not just one more belief system. It is the truth. It is not just one more religious option. The gospel of Christ is about the only one who can save Jesus Christ. How about us here right now? What's your relationship to the gospel? What are you doing with the gospel today? Well, let me say this. That you can fully trust and stake your life on the gospel for it is God's word of truth. You can stake your eternal destiny upon it. If someone was to ask you today, where would you go when you died? You could say today, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe in the gospel absolutely sure I'm going to heaven to be with Jesus. You can stake your eternal destiny on it. You see, the gospel is our hope, and hope is to be found nowhere else other than in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And don't we need that right now? In all of the things that are turbulent in our world, in our society, the gospel is that hope. The gospel promises us life now, and promises it that the best is yet to come. This is what's waiting for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven, and there is an unimaginable future that is absolutely waiting for us in the hands of God. And no matter what happens here and now, no matter how crazy things get, we are God's much-loved children. And he is going to take care of us. He will never let us go. So stop for a moment and reflect on the fact that this gospel that we're talking about has come to you. You live in a time when God, in His grace, brought the message, this good news, this eternal gospel to you and to your life. What did He do? He opened your blind eyes, He unstopped your deaf ears, and He enabled you to believe it and to receive it. And today, as we were led in prayer, we praise God for the power of the gospel in our own lives. We sing, as we did earlier Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. So this is the first thing. The fruit-bearing gospel is the good news of God's grace. The second thing is this gospel grows and bears fruit wherever it goes. We see this in verse 6. Look at your Bibles at verse 6. Notice what God is doing. Paul writes, "'The gospel which has come to you, "'as indeed in the whole world, "'it is bearing fruit and increasing.'" as it does, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel is at work bearing fruit and increasing where? Out there, today, around the world. The gospel is bearing fruit right here in our lives individually, and the gospel is bearing fruit in here among us as a church, as a community. The gospel is working, it's growing, it's bearing fruit. And in this chapter, we hear echoes of the creation account in Genesis chapter one, where God commanded humanity to be fruitful and multiply. That's in 128. And again, this week, if you're part of our Bible reading plan, in Genesis chapter nine, we read that, that mandate, that, the command that was given to Noah, again. He said this, and you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And through the gospel of Christ, what was God doing? He was doing what Adam had failed to do. He was doing what was corrupted by sin. You see, God's purpose was to create for himself out of the whole world a people for himself who would love him and bring him glory. That's what being fruitful and multiplying ultimately is all about. And through the proclamation of the gospel, God is sowing a seed into the world, reaping a harvest of human souls, who are set apart for God's glory. Hebrews chapter 4.12 says that this word of God, the gospel, is living and active. And so we understand the gospel as this living force endued with God's power, with God's divine energy. I'll say that again. The gospel is a living and active force endued with God's divine energy. Wow. Wow. You think about the power of an atom; The power of the gospel is far, far greater. Like a seed, the gospel, the living gospel is planted in the human heart and grows and bears fruit and produces Christ-likeness and changes a life, a life for eternity. This is what we see in verse 10. Look at your Bibles in verse 10. Paul writes, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He's saying this this gospel is at work in you, and he's saying as you walk with the Lord, I'm praying for you that you will bear fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. Don't you hear in that verse exactly what the creation mandate was? To be fruitful and to multiply, it's the same thing. He's saying the gospel is at work in the world doing that, the gospel is at work in you doing that, and I'm praying for you that this will be true of you and not only in you but through you to other people. The gospel transforms us and produces spiritual maturity, and as it changes us and produces fruit in us, what happens? As we grow in Christ, our fruitful lives then produce converts. The gospel produces fruit in your life, and then what happens? The gospel spreads through you to other people. We are to be, as it were, gossiping the gospel, or to be telling this good news in our own lives. And this is exactly what you see in the book of Acts. I love the fact as we are in this new year, as we've just been turning this page, reading in Genesis and Matthew and Ezra and Acts, just the, the growth and the proclamation of the gospel. Acts chapter 2, 47, it says this. The Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Well, what do you hear in that? You hear increase, you hear growth, you hear being fruitful and multiplying. The church was growing a little bit later. Acts chapter 16 says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. We know that God was at work through the power of the gospel, bringing men and women to himself. Hundreds and thousands of people were being added. So let's put this all together. Last week, we heard a message in John chapter 15, how to really live in 2021. The nugget of that was in one word, abide. Abide. And when we abide, the idea is that the branches remain vitally connected to the vine. And as they do, this was the promise that we will bear much fruit. Our intentional abiding is going to overflow and result in us influencing others to Christ. So sure, would you join me this year in praying that God will make this a year of fruitful harvest, that we will see the lost come to Christ that we will see greater spiritual maturity, greater growth in us personally, and then through us, through the witness of our lives in this church, people, men and women, young people coming to Christ, because this is God's promise. The gospel grows and bears fruit. Third, this passage, passage shows us the gospel spreads from place to place. The story of beginnings is fascinating. Maybe you've read about the, you know, an invention that, that started out with many, many tries, dozens and dozens of tries, whether it was the light bulb or an airplane or whatever it happened to be. The stories of the beginnings of a new journey or a new business venture. All of that starts with an idea. New beginnings start with a vision of doing something, of doing something not tried before and encouraging others to help you as you pursue that. Well, let me say that the story of the beginning of a church is even more fascinating because it produces eternal results. Now, it's not just the the story of a car company that's doing well or some tech giant that's sprung up. Those are pretty cool stories. But the story of a church being planted is an eternal story. Church planting is pioneering work. It's doing something new. It's going somewhere that no one else has been. It's taking the gospel to a place where there is an unmet need. I think of Albania this morning where believers are being trained up and being sent out to neighboring countries like Montenegro and Kosovo to start new churches, to start new gospel works. I think of Dubai this morning where there is an initiative to train up leaders to plant churches in the Middle East. I think of South Shore Bible Church, eight years old, planted by the Lord, starting with a vision to share the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ to people who live in the south part of Barrie. We're praying that God will do great things in Dubai and in Albania and in the south part of Barrie. See, this is gospel mission, and this zeal for church planting comes from the final command of Jesus. And this command is about those who have the hope of heaven, and if you know Jesus today, that's you. That's every one of you who's listening who knows Christ. It's about those who have the hope of heaven going in the power of the Holy Spirit to those who don't know the truth, to those who don't have this hope, and those who are not going to heaven. We see this in Matthew chapter 28 and in Acts chapter 1. This very familiar passage on the Great Commission, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission mandate to take the gospel from place to place. And in Acts chapter 1.8, Jesus said just in his final words before he ascended, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Right, The gospel is growing and increasing and going north, south, east, and west. And in the Great Commission, the torch of evangelism was passed to the apostles by Jesus. It was clearly demonstrated and recorded in detail in the life of Paul. He was a missionary to the Gentile who traveled all throughout Israel and in Syria, Turkey, Greece, Albania, and Italy, in total, in all his missionary journeys, Paul, it's estimated, walked approximately 10,000 miles by foot, that's like walking from St. John's to Vancouver, there and back. And Paul says in Colossians 1:5 and 6, the gospel is the word of truth which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, and amidst great difficulties, and amidst continuous opposition, Paul was faithful to preach the gospel to the whole world. And the spread of the gospel through the Roman Empire foreshadowed that it would even surpass the Roman Empire, crossing continents and coming even to us today in North America and to the remotest parts of the earth. The spread of the gospel happened through Paul and the early church then. The spread of the gospel is happening now in Albania, and in Dubai, and Kazakhstan, and in Barrie, and in Simcoe County, and the spread of the gospel will continue to happen to the end. Why? Because Jesus is building His church, and nothing is going to stop it. The gospel will be comprised of saving people from every people and language and tribe and nation. It's going to go to the ends of the earth, Matthew 24 said it would. Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So how did this church in Colossae get planted? Well, we know that it got planted, it got started in Ephesus. Actually, we could trace it even before then to the stoning of Stephen, which we also read about if you read Acts chapter 8 this week but we're gonna skip ahead right to the time in Acts chapter 18. So here's what happened in Paul's second missionary journey in AD 52, he visited Ephesus after leaving Corinth, and apparently he planted a church there, leaving Priscilla and Aquila in in Apollos in, in charge to oversee the work. On his third preaching journey about two years later, about AD 54 to AD 56, Paul returned to Ephesus again and he found some disciples. So he spent three months teaching in their synagogue, and then when they kicked him out of that place, he spent an additional two years teaching, evangelizing daily, and planting the church. Acts chapter 19, 10 is an important verse. Flip over from where you are in Colossians, flip over to Acts chapter 19, verse 10. Go ahead and do that in your Bibles. Here's what we find out. Paul's preaching ministry continued, he says, for two years, so that, here's the result, that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, what we know is that radiating from that time and place in Ephesus, all the residents of Asia heard the gospel. And what this did was it started a wave of missionary activity through the region. The flame of the gospel that burned brightly and gloriously in Ephesus lit a torch that was passed to Colossae through one of God's servants. Pretty exciting stuff. Not only was there a church plant in Colossae, but also a nearby Laodicea in Hierapolis. And these churches uh, were linked together, uh, and they were sharing the gospel together. They were hearing the gospel and growing together. And by the work of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel is on the move from place to place, transforming lives. This leads us to our final point this morning, the fruit-bearing gospel comes to us through God's empowered messengers. Now we know that the work of salvation is solely by God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit alone, but what does he do? How does he do it? He uses humans as channels of that message. He uses us. We are his messengers. Jesus already told the disciples in Acts 1:8, we just heard it, that we as believers are empowered witnesses, we are Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our calling. Romans 10, likewise, speaks of the necessity of human agency. It says this, how will, chapter 10, verse 14, how will they then call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? Here's the answer. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? We are the tellers, the talkers, the sharers, the preachers, the proclaimers, the testifiers, the witnesses. God uses us as messengers of the gospel. And listen, God gives everyone, not just the lead pastor, not just the elders of the church, the wonderful privilege, the sobering responsibility of being his agents in proclaiming this gospel of grace. We're called to faithfully share with others the good news that has transformed our lives and has given us an unshakable hope. The Father has made us to be, listen, characters in the story of redemption, but also carriers of the story of redemption to those who don't know Jesus. And although the Apostle Paul had never met this church, he was a grandfather to these young believers. We know that from chapter two, where he says, I I want you to know the struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face. Paul had never met these people, they had never met Paul. He was not directly involved with them, but indirectly, and it's thought that Epaphras, here we go, putting it all together, Epaphras heard the gospel from Paul when Paul was in that two year preaching time, those revival meetings in the city of Ephesus. The idea is that Epaphras was was there, he heard the gospel, he was converted, and then he went back to his hometown to preach the gospel and plant the church. Isn't that a wonderful story? that you find the gospel in one place and you think about your, your parents at home, you think about your friends at home, you think about the town that you grew up in, the neighborhood you lived in, and you say they don't know Jesus. There, there's nobody there that has ever heard the gospel, but I know it. And so maybe I should, maybe, maybe this is what God's calling me to do, to take that gospel in this message of life, life in the midst of death and hope in the midst of hopelessness to my people. And that's what he did. And this is what we see in 4.13, so flip over just a couple of pages to chapter 4.13. Paul writes about Epaphras these words. Paul says, for I bear him witness, this is the work of Epaphras, that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So Paul has so much good to say about Epaphras, this wonderful, newly converted, turned evangelist, church-planting pastor for Colossae. Even in the book of Colossians itself, it says these things about him, this faithful servant. It says that he was beloved, he was a fellow servant, he was a servant of Paul and a servant of Christ Jesus. It says in seven that he was a faithful minister, that he was a faithful messenger in eight, It says that he was a committed shepherd, that he was a faithful prayer warrior, and he was a dedicated and diligent servant of Jesus Christ. wow. No wonder the gospel spread with the heart of a man like this, someone who was so committed to Christ. The word of God found its way into the heart of Epaphras through the preaching and teaching ministry of Paul. and Epaphras, in his new faith, burdened for his people, brought the gospel to his home church. Look at verse six and seven of chapter one. This is the testimony. Since you heard it, the gospel, and understood the grace of God and truth, how? Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved and fellow servant. And so we see the chain. The stoning of Stephen and his death, Saul, who would become Paul, watching that happen. Then Paul's conversion and then Paul's preaching in Ephesus and Epaphras being there in Ephesus and Ephesus sending uh, Epaphras to Colossae and these people hearing the gospel and so on and so on. That's exponential growth in the gospel. You know, you tell someone and they tell two people and those two people tell two people and so the gospel grows exponentially. And Paul passes the baton. Paul takes this gospel baton and hands the the baton, hands the torch to his young fellow servant, Epaphras, who takes the gospel to this wonderful city and people get saved. Well, we wanna honor the commitment and character of Epaphras, obviously so much good was said about him. And we would honor the apostle Paul for standing strong and steadfast and upright in the midst of so much opposition. But Paul's boast was not about how good he was, even though he worked hard. Paul's boast was not about the power that he had in his own strength. This was his boast. And I would say that this is a Epaphras' boast as well. And where do we find our hope in the midst of doing this gospel ministry and, and taking the gospel from one place to another, of praying for it to bear fruit? Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. This is Paul's testimony. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, listen, he said, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. It wasn't Paul's power. It wasn't strength in his own ability, his own being. It wasn't that Epaphras was a superstar. Paul just said it, it was the grace of God that is with me, and and as you think about your role in gospel proclamation today, you might say, you know what, I'm just an ordinary person. But let me tell you, God calls us to work hard, he calls us to be diligent, but at the end of the day, it's the power of Christ in you. It's the grace of God in you, enabling you to do what you can't do in your own strength, that's your boast. Your boast isn't in your own gifts or abilities. God used Paul greatly, God used Epaphras greatly. The question I have for you today is Can God use you? Can God use an ordinary person like you, like me, a person yielded to Him, obedient to His word, to affect eternal impact in the lives of other people? What can God do through a church in the south of Barrie in 2021 to impact lives for eternity? Do we dare trust God today? Can we? Will we trust God today for great things? I hope you're saying, yes, yes, I can trust God. This is the faithful God, the grace of God at work within me. I want to tell you the story of a man you've probably never heard of. His name is Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a man who was obedient to God. You've never heard of him, but the effects of his life are known today around the globe. The Sunday school teacher dared to share his faith with others. In 1854, he was teaching Sunday school to a a class of high school boys. And he was concerned particularly for one of these young men. And one day he went to the the store, the shoe store where he was working as a clerk, stocking shelves. And he confronted him with the importance of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That day he led a 17-year-old to the Lord That young man's name was D.L. Moody. In his lifetime, Moody would become a great evangelist and touching two continents would lead thousands of people to Christ through his life and ministry, through the ministry of Edward Kimball. Well, Moody one day held a service in Chicago and following that service, a man named Wilbur Chapman received counseling from Moody who helped him to find assurance of his salvation in Christ. Chapman himself then would become an evangelist, and he himself would preach to thousands of people. Chapman then employed an ex-professional baseball player whose name was Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday became a great evangelist himself. You can see this, this just kind of rolling, right? The baton is being passed one person to another. Billy Sunday became a great evangelist, and in 1924, led an evangelistic campaign in Charlotte, North Carolina. Out of that campaign came this ministry called the Christian Businessmen's Club, CBMC, and 10 years later, the CBMC invited to Charlotte an evangelist whose name was Mordecai Ham. When Ham came to Charlotte to preach a series of meetings, there was a sandy-haired, lanky young man in high school who vowed that he wouldn't go to these meetings as other of his friends were. His name was Billy Frank, and he wouldn't go, but eventually he did and one night Billy Frank went to this tent meeting to hear Mordecai Ham preach the gospel. He was intrigued by what he heard. He returned another night, and that night he responded to the invitation of the gospel and gave his life to Jesus Christ. That young man, Billy Frank, we know today as Billy Graham. He's the evangelist for, who for over 50 years through radio and TV and the internet and in person preached to people across the globe more than any other person has ever preached, including the Apostle Paul. Nearing the end of his life he said this, "'I'll preach until there's no breath left in my body. I was called by God, and until God tells me to retire, I cannot. Whatever strength I have, whatever time God lets me have, is going to be dedicated to doing the work of an evangelist as long as I live.'" We trace the ministry of Billy Graham's life, his legacy back to 1854 to an ordinary Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball who dared to be obedient and faithful to the gospel that was burning in his life. We trace our own salvation story to someone who shared the gospel with us, who gave us the gospel, who put the gospel baton in our hand and now that gospel baton is in our hand God's calling us to share that with other people. Like the Apostle Paul, like Epaphras, like the faithful apostles, thank God this gospel message has come to you. This church grew, but the story of the church growing ultimately is about the power and the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. As we conclude this morning, I wanna just look at two things briefly, how we might apply this to our own lives. If you wanna be someone who's growing and increasing in the knowledge of God and having God impact others through you, two things. Here's the first. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Receive this life-changing word of God into your life every day as you read it and study it and pray about it and reflect on it and seek to live it out. That's why we're doing Bible studies. That's why we're reading through the Bible together. That's why we worship together. The word of God will renew your mind and transform you. The second thing is not just to let the word dwell in you, but to believe in the power of the gospel and to share that power of the life-changing gospel with other people. Would you pray today and ask God to use you to be a teller of the truth of the gospel and to impact the world? Maybe you're wondering if your life could ever make a difference. Well, just remember Kimball. Remember today this faithful man. Share the fruit-bearing gospel with those around you. There's words of a modern hymn that we're gonna just sing in a moment that calls us to be people on the move, sharing the gospel wherever we go, telling it, talking about it. Listen to these words. It says, We bear the torch that flaming fell from the hand of those who gave their lives proclaiming that Jesus died and rose. Ours is the same commission, the same glad message ours, fired by the same ambition to thee, we yield our powers. Hear that line, fired by the same ambition. Lord, to Thee we yield who we are, we yield our gifts, our lives, Lord, for this most important task. Brothers and sisters today, my fellow gospel tellers, gospel proclaimers, take the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. The Word of God will do the work of God. It is living and powerful. As we pray for open doors and as we pray for clarity, that the gospel would be heard. The Spirit of God will use the message and he will use you, the messenger, to change lives. This was the Colossians story. This is our story and this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for the gospel that has come to us and Lord, we rejoice and changed lives and we rejoice in our changed life because of your love and your great mercy with which you have loved us in Christ. Lord, may we celebrate and cherish and rejoice in that today and find in this good news the victory message of what Jesus has done for us, the most important thing about us, the most important thing that we would ever talk about or tell or share. Grow that love for the gospel in our lives and that love for you Jesus, who made this possible in your life and your death and your resurrection. Empower your church now, we pray, to the glory of your name.